I absolutely adore Stephen Gould, that illustration with our kids this morning. In fact, I love it so much, I want to use it to begin this message this morning. Because as Stephen pointed out to our kids, he had a, as the kids call it, a small can of shaving cream. But that small can of shaving cream produced a lot of shaving cream, right? And so we often do this, and I want to think about this for just a moment, that we see maybe our, even ourselves as something small and insignificant, something that maybe cannot produce or, or have the ability to give a lot. But often what we find ourselves is in the presence of God, we are able to do more than we would ever have been able to do apart from Him. Right? And we see ourselves as maybe just a small can that won't be able to produce much, but in the presence of God, in relationship to the Father, we are able to do more than we ever could have done away from Him. And we see ourselves this way. And I promise you, and I believe it with all of my heart, that when we give ourselves to God, when we maintain relationship with the Father, when we come into this kind of place and we find encouragement and challenge before the Father, that little part that we see, like, you know, all the doubt that we may have, right? All the baggage we think that we have to carry with us produces something beautiful and special and holy because our God is beautiful, He is special, and He is a holy God. That we are able to give something more. And we identify ourselves by what we believe our output is. And God identifies us by what He is able to do with us and with you. We have identity in our work, our job, our family. We find identity in our past. We find identity with who we are around. Or perhaps we find identity with whatever political party or or group that we tend to find likeness in. But what we find out, and this is why I want to turn to Exodus chapter 3, and I really appreciate the shaving cream illustration this morning, because what we find out is, is identity is not found in my self-assessment. It is found in God alone. And I really want us to find that, to experience that, and to wrestle with that truth in this place this morning. What we find in Exodus chapter 3, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, is that Moses is tending to his flock, to his sheep. He's a shepherd. And before him, he finds a bush that is on fire, but not consumed by the fire. And Moses now enters into holy ground, into the presence of God. And Moses, as we talked about two weeks ago, is burned by the fire that is God in this place. That the bush is not consumed by the fire. It is Moses himself that is consumed by the fire. And what Moses finds is that God's calling is something different and unique and is beyond his, his wildest imagination. That Moses is being called to go into Egypt to bring God's Israelites out of the land of slavery and into eventually the promised land. Right? Now Moses can't fathom what God is calling him to do. And so I want to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, because Moses gives quite a few excuses to why he is not the right guy. And I want to pay attention to not the excuses, but to what Moses has to say. And first of all, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses says to God in response, remember, Moses is on holy ground. He is talking to a non-consuming fire that is burning him and calling him into something new. 
Moses is in a remarkable holy moment. And Moses says this back to God. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, what is Moses doing? Moses is assessing himself based on what he believes he is capable of. He, he's assessing himself based on his past. Let's remember, um, within two chapters, we learned quite a bit about 80-year-old something Moses in Exodus chapter 3. That Moses um, had a, a, a tumultuous start to his life. Remember the whole story in Exodus chapter 1, as a baby in the basket being found, now being raised in the house of Pharaoh himself at the time. Being raised in the king's court, if you will. Moses, an Israelite, is an Egyptian at the same time, dual citizenship. He's lived his first 40 years as this. But Moses commits murder, and he goes on the run. Now, Moses' second life is as a shepherd. He has a family. He's out away from Egypt, and he's, a, he's with some of his people, but he spends his time as a shepherd to sheep. Now, Moses' life... He sees as his past. He sees as what he has done. He sees as who he is. He's giving a self-assessment to who he is. And so when God shows up and God says, I want you to go to Egypt, talk to Pharaoh, bring my people out of slavery and into the promised land, you know what Moses is doing. He's assessing himself based on what he's experienced in life. He doesn't see the output that God is giving to him in this moment. He sees a little can that won't be able to do very much. Who am I? Moses says. He sees himself as a nobody. He sees himself as a reject. He sees himself as a runaway. He sees himself as a lowly shepherd. Who am I that I should go talk to the literal most powerful person in the world, Pharaoh himself, and do what you've asked me to do? Pick up in verse 12. Here's what God has to say in response. I will be with you. I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on the mountain. Now, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I love God's response to Moses' doubt. Because God responds with, when this happens, you will know I'm serious and for real. It's not a, I'm going to tell you I'm for real and serious and give you something. You will know I'm for real and serious when all of this occurs. Because God is telling Moses that your question of who you are means nothing to me because I am with you. Keep reading, verse 13. So Moses responds back, Suppose I go to the Israelites. You know, you've done this. Let's just say for conversation's sake that I do what you're telling me to do. Let's suppose I go to the Israelites and I tell them, I go to my fellow people and I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They're going to ask, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Again, think about the situation. Moses is talking to a burning bush and he's arguing with it. And he's trying to come up with some way because he's assessing himself as someone who is unable to achieve what God is asking him to do. So what am I going to tell the fellow Israelites? Who am I going to tell them uh, that sent me? 
Here's what God says, chapter 3, verse 14. So God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay. Do you hear what God is saying? Moses has doubt. He has uncertainty. He sees himself as a little can, unable to do what God is calling him into. And God's response ultimately to the question, who am I, is I am. God gives Moses identity through himself. God understands who he's calling. God's not absent. He knows that he's calling Moses, an 80-year-old man, into his service to do some things that seem quite remarkable and challenging. God understands the person that he is calling, and God, understanding who Moses is, doesn't give him identity in the fact that he's a shepherd, that he, has, that he probably has relationships with the Pharaoh family, that he understands the cult. He doesn't give him any of that nonsense. You know what he says? You know who you are? You are who you are because of me. And I am who I am, and that is your identity. First and foremost, who am I is less than I am. And I wonder if we truly believe this, that our identity, that your identity is not and what you do, or what you've done, or who you're around, or what you think is the right thing in the moment, but who you are is found in the great I am. God knows who you are. You don't have to carry that baggage around with you everywhere you go, because the great I am has promised you through his son, Jesus Christ, that you have been forgiven and grace has filled your life. And there's newness and life found upon you because his son has come to you. Who I am. Far less important than who my father is. And this is what God is saying. He says, you want to know, or you're trying to give the excuse of who you are, your self-doubt, your history, your baggage, all those things. Moses, I am calling you into something new. I am identifying you in a new way. My identity to you is not a matter of who you are or where you've come from or what you have done. Your identity is not about your shortcomings or your belief in the mission. Your identity is found in me. And who I am is not that important, but who God is, is everything. Um, I, I, I don't mean this to be melodramatic, but I am the least qualified person to be a minister. I... I, I have doubts. I worry about everything. I need lots of affirmation. And when God called me to, into ministry uh, some 20-something years ago, that day and today, I still wonder, who am I to be doing this? I worry 
that God has put the wrong person up here right now. And I go to God in different ways, and I don't know how, how you approach this, but in different ways, I'm guessing, at different moments and different seasons of life, you have approached God, and you have said what Moses says in Exodus chapter 3, hey, whoa, who am I? <laughs> right? Who am I? Who am I to go on that mission trip? Who am I to be a part of that ministry? Who am I to have that conversation with that person, right? Who am I to be a part of the things that God is calling us, not only as individuals, but as a community. Who am I? And I wonder, and I ask that question quite often, even to this day, 18 years into ministry now. Who am I? You know what the resounding answer to that question has been? And you would think I would learn this. God looks at me, and it reminded me that long time ago, and he's reminded me to this very day, who you are is far less important than who I am. Who God is. And once we begin to wrestle with the idea and the truth that God's identity is now our identity, we can begin to wrestle with the calling and the work that is before us because God calls his people into service, into work. God calls us to be his children, his disciples in the world and in the places that we find ourselves in this very day. Not because we are capable, but because he is. We minister because of him. We call out because of him. So let's continue in Exodus chapter 3 and see how this plays. So, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God gives this wonderful statement of identification. I am who I am. God continues on in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. He says that I'm the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Picking up in verse 16, God continues with his instructions. Okay, Moses, now that you are rightfully identified as mine, I am who I am. That is who I am, and now who you are. Here's what the calling looks like, Moses. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what, you have been done, what has been done to you in Egypt. Verse 17, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Persians, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our Lord, our God. Verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Now, do you hear what God is saying? Okay? Moses, you are who you are because of me, the great I am. 
And now listen to everything that will happen. God's identity in Moses and his calling seems far-fetched and out there. You will go to the most powerful person on the planet and you will demand the release of his slaves and he will be a little stubborn about it, but guess what? I will take care of it and you will leave. You won't leave empty-handed, by the way. You're going to leave as wealthy people as you enter into the desert into the promised land eventually. I will take care of you as God's promise. Now, can you imagine what Moses is thinking at that burning bush when all of this is being said to him? This is absurd. And I'm guessing, as we continue to read, Moses is still asking the question, at least internally, who am I? Right? This calling is remarkable. It is out there. It is, I'm guessing, absurd to Moses. But this is a burning bush moment. And I'm guessing after that kind of speech that God just gave at the end of chapter 3, you would think, okay, Moses, he's probably on board, right? He's got to be a little fired up. I mean, this is a great locker room pep talk right here. Continuing. Now we're in Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses answers God's great speech by saying this. Well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And what if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Doubt may be our greatest enemy. And the evil one will want to plant doubt every chance he gets. Because the moment we start doubting our identity is in the great I am, we begin to believe that everything God has promised, everything God is calling us to is impossible. And we think there's no way. Who am I? What if, what if, right? What if this happens? What if someone comes at me? What if, the, you know, we start thinking in all these scenarios, these great doomsday scenarios, we begin to doubt in ourselves because we don't believe our identity is found in the great I am. And so Moses' response is actually a very human response. This is outlandish, outrageous. This is, this is huge, God. But what if? Right? What if God continues to work through our doubt? He continues to work through my doubt. And when doubt of who I am through him as his minister for this church and my insecurities crop up, God continuously reminds me and he will remind you of the great truth that he is I am. And he is there before us. That our mission isn't seen through my doubt. It is seen through his eyes, through his leadership, through his grace and love. And once I begin to understand and realize that who am I is less than I am, I will understand, right? I will live. Now, the story continues. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. God replies back to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses replies, a staff. Now, okay, stay in the context for just a moment. Moses is a shepherd of sheep. He was with his flock when this burning bush grabbed his attention, and he's had this 
remarkable conversation with the burning bush through, with God. So Moses not only has declared that he's unfit, he's unable, and that there's probably some holes in your plan, God, the what if, right? Well, like, what if, you know, somebody says, I'm crazy, right? He's, he's trying to shoot down everything God has thrown before him. God's reply now is, tell me what's in your hand. And Moses replies, a staff. Moses, the shepherd, would have a staff, a shepherd's staff, right? So Moses, this entire time, has been standing before God at the burning bush with the tool that he is most comfortable with, the shepherd's staff. The entire time he's had this in his hands, and the entire time he's doubted and questioned God through the entire conversation. And so now God points out what is in your hands, and he says a staff. Now Moses would have this, because every shepherd would have a staff like this. Um, sheep were often out in the, in the country. Not our kind of country, Middle Eastern country. <laughs> uh, nothing is smooth and uh, flat in the Middle East. Everything's rocky and hilly. And so Moses would have a shepherd's staff because he would need it to help himself walk and guide the sheep. Keeps him up, right? You've been, you've been on hikes before. You might have a hiking stick, very similar in that sense. It would be a helpful tool for him as a shepherd, but he would also have a shepherd's staff because the shepherd's staff would also guide and redirect his sheep. I, I've... Uh, I've, I've probably have uh, deep dived way too deep on the usefulness of a shepherd's staff. Like I've been reading a lot about a shepherd's staff, and these are really cool tools because it's multi-use. And so not only would Moses be able to use it to keep himself up or to guide himself on the land, he would use it to guide his sheep. And the hook of the shepherd's staff could be useful in redirecting sheep, literally taking it, grabbing a, sh a sheep by the neck, and pulling them back in, Right? At times, he may have to kind of pat, maybe hit a sheep to get them back into the group because um, what we learn and what we know about sheep is that they're really dumb, right? They have minds of their own. And so the shepherd would use his staff to keep the sheep together, to pull them other. There's a lot of other usefulness about sheep and things that specific, especially sheep who give birth and those kinds of things that this thing becomes really handy for, but generally he would also use it for his sheep. Now the third thing that Moses would, the reason Moses would have a shepherd's staff as being a shepherd is this would be a weapon. Now he would have a, a rod, a shepherd's rod, probably on his belt somewhere, but that's not the first line of defense if something or someone is coming after your sheep. The rod's kind of the last line of defense. The shepherd's rod, what most likely would be on his belt, would be kind of a club, we might describe it as. Sometimes maybe have some sharp edges to it. Last line of defense. But the first line of defense is a shepherd's staff. So if someone's coming to attack your sheep, this would be what Moses uses first. So not only would it help him, it would help his sheep, but it also protect his sheep at the same time. So I find it very interesting. I understand that there's a lot of cool things going on in 
the rest of Exodus chapter 4. But I'm stopping here for a moment because I find this to be quite fascinating that God would ask Moses what's in his hand, one, knowing what's in his hand, and secondly, Moses knowing what's in his hand and wanting to identify what's in his hand is this multi-use tool called the shepherd's staff that Moses has probably have, has never let down for 40-something years of his life now. He's always had this with him. He's found usefulness in it. He's, he's found it to be a helper to him, and he's found it a way to keep him and his sheep together. And so God points out that he's got a staff in his hand. He understands this. God, again, is aware of what's there. So why would he mention this? Because Moses is doubting himself. What God has called Moses to do is outside of the realm of a sheep shepherd, right? This is new. This is different. This is something beyond anything Moses has done in his life. He wants him to go confront the powers that be of Egypt and to release thousands of of slaves out of Egypt and to be their leader into the desert and eventually the promised land. This is not something he has done, but he holds the staff. And so God identifies it. What's in your hand? A staff. Of course there's a staff in my hand. There's been a staff in my hand for 40-something years. This is all I carry around. This is the tool of tools for what I do. And God recognizes that, and I think God understands that what we are, or who we are, and what we bring is what he can use. I understand the story goes on, but it's important for us to recognize that God will use what we have. This reminds me of several different things. I'm going to come back to that slide. Will you jump over to Matthew chapter 4? I think it's a slide over. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers there. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, Jesus calls some of his first disciples. They're not shepherds, but they're fishermen. But what does he say he's going to have them do? Something that they're very familiar with. They will learn to fish in a new way. And I think God, before Moses in Exodus chapter 4, wants to know what's in his hand because he knows what's in his hand. He wants to, Moses to understand that what you are being called to do is what you have done just in a new way. Now, uh, this, this uh, there's a couple of scriptures I want to finish with this morning because I want to turn over to John chapter 21 as we start to wrap up this, this morning's message. Because that same Simon Peter in Matthew chapter 4 is called by Jesus with those three words, come follow me, this fisherman of people in John chapter 21 is going to be called into a new kind of service. Now, in John chapter 21, Jesus has been crucified. This is the risen Jesus. John, uh, at the end of his gospel, gives us this, this interaction with Jesus and his disciples, the risen Jesus. Remember, Simon Peter has denied Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested and was being crucified on the cross. 
Simon d denied him. And so you have this interaction at the end of, of the gospel stories. In John chapter 21, let's pick up in verse uh, 15. Now when they, Jesus and his disciples, had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, do, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. That our mistakes and our past do not define us. It is the God who is before us, and what we bring to Him is our identity in Him. That God will carry us, and He will move us, and we can think of it in this way. Now I'll go to that slide, Melissa. Leadership is followership. You see what God is doing when He asks Moses what's in His hand? He is saying, you know what? You're going to do something that you've done before just in a new way, but you're going to do it because I am. You will lead my people because I am with you. You will be the shepherd of the Israelites because I am your identity. You will do amazing things before not only the Egyptians, but all the Israelites because you have the staff that I have given you. Amazing things will occur because I am who I am. And so the identity of what is in his hand is the identity that God is going to lead and Moses must be the follower. And so let's end with Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Now, the Lord said, what's in your hand? Moses says, a staff. But the story continues. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. I would too. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And so Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You know what God does? He takes what we have and what we are and who we are and what we've done. He takes what we know and he turns it into incredible, impossible things before us. God's promise is not that, 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 that amazing things will come before us, but God's promise is, is I am with you, and that's amazing enough. The sign before you is what you have, and the staff that you take is the sign that I am with you because I am who I am. 
And I wonder if we believe that. I wonder if in this place this morning that we truly believe that our identity and who we are, not only as individuals, but as a church community, is found in the great I am. So the invitation this morning is to be called into the presence of God. I invite you this morning to respond. I'll make myself available down front. I know most of you will stay right where you are, but I want to invite you to respond to God's word. And I wonder what is in your hand. And I wonder if God, the I am, is all that you ever need. Let's respond to God in this place as we sing another song. Let's stand together. Alan.